Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, and welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We are your hosts. I'm Kim France. And I'm Jen Romolini. And we've got a really, you know, we've got a really good episode for you guys today. It's it's not an easy one. It's about Roe versus Wade and the threats to Roe versus Wade. Um, we've got two excellent guests, one of whom is a beloved person in both Jen's and my life. Yep. Who we've been trying to get on the podcast forever. And I have to say, by the end of the interview, I was like, I was motive, I was infuriated and motivated in equal measure. Well, I think that. I felt like there's so much noise out there around what's actually happening with abortion. And also at this point, the way information is spread and disseminated and the way I get it, and it's like a little bit here from Twitter, a little bit here from Instagram, a little bit here from my New York Times news alerts, you know, I needed somebody to come in and really sort of lay it out for me in one yep. place. So, yep. but I think there was a lot of hope in that and a lot of you know, we don't have to be powerless here. We can, right. we have, we have some options and we have some power in how decisions are made if we get off our asses and do something about it. And that's really key. And that's what I, you know, a question that I didn't get to ask them, but I, and I was curious about was like, how do we motivate the women for whom this is actually an active issue? Yeah. I mean, right. Because I'm not having a baby, you know, exactly. And neither am I, you know, and I'm, I'll talk about my abortions to anybody who will listen, but yeah, you know, it's, it, it doesn't, it doesn't impact me. Like well, you'll, you'll yeah. listen guys. And you'll yeah. tell us what you think. Ladies, I'm sorry. You're not supposed to say guys. Anymore. Yeah. Well, I think we're not supposed to say, like, I think we're just supposed to be not gendered. I think we're just People supposed to be folks. Folks is so corny, but yeah, everyone. Okay, everyone. That's hey, everybody. I know. I'm trying. I'm <laughs> trying. Draw, my best. You know what? We're all we're all trying. I got called out on like a. That's not what gender is. Like, I put down pronouns for gender, and I got yelled at that that is not gender. Like, it's just you know we're we're all figuring out the semantics of the new world we live in. But the the good thing is is that we're all trying. Um. How are you this week besides furious about abortion? I mean, aside from being furious about abortion, I'm pretty good. Yesterday was Mother's Day, mm -hmm. usually mm -hmm. a day that I hate mm -hmm. and a day that I end up having to go out with my, you know, my mother and my brothers, their partners and the children. And I, it, it is notable for being an event where I become belligerent and often drunk. <laughs> 
like there was one year a couple of years ago and the waitress came up and she's because people do just reflexively wish you happy mother's day on mother's yeah. day without knowing anything about you and it's actually it it doesn't pain me the way it used to but it, it it's irritating um but the poor waitress just came up to the table and said happy mother's day everyone i was like i'm not a longer <laughs> I'm sorry. But anyway, no, I mean, it's true. I was, I was just a total brat about it. And then I realized like, you know, recently like, oh, Kim, Mother's Day is actually not about your failure to become a mother, but about the mothers in your life who are important to you. So because I feel like nobody in my family makes a reservation in time to go anywhere good, I was like, okay, this year we're just having brunch at my house. Nice. So nice. everybody came over and we had a little Mother's Day brunch and my mom was like as happy. She's like, this is my best Mother's Day in recent memory. Oh, you know, being in a house over a restaurant is actually so much better so often. It's just- So much nicer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I Nobody in my family remembered that it was Mother's Day. My husband went out in the morning to go buy dog food because we all like this tells you a lot about what's going on in this house. Like we were <laughs> like, oh, shit, the dog needs to eat. Anyway, my husband went out to get dog food in the morning and came back with supermarket flowers and was like, oh, yeah. Hi. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, and I was like, fuck you. I know. I know. It was fine. It was fine. I wasn't mad. My kid was a dick to me all day. But then we did the best thing. We almost didn't make it. And we didn't know you needed like your vax card to get into the movie theater. It doesn't matter. But we went to see Everything Everywhere all at once, which was, have you seen it? Well, I, we went to go see it and, and Paul wasn't into it, so we left. Okay. I loved it, but it turned out to be, it was the first R-rated movie we ever took Charlotte to. And it turned out to be the perfect Mother's Day movie mm -hmm. because it's about a woman Dealing with like so much of life, like passing her by and feeling like she never got to live out her dreams, but also her battle with her daughter, just like a struggle with her daughter and feeling like she failed her daughter. And then her husband being like sort of this weak and complacent kind of pathetic, you know, as most men are, you know, no offense, <laughs> no offense, dudes, but yeah, also offense. <laughs> um, and it was, it was so crazy. And there's like, you know, all of this, you know, there's obviously all of this like fighting in it and martial arts and there's like time travel or like, you know, dimension travel, but ultimately it's about mothering. It's mm -hmm. ultimately a movie about being a mom. And mm. by the end of it, I was just sobbing and I, I oh. was so happy to be with these two jerks who got me nothing <laughs> except supermarket flowers that weren't even that nice. <laughs> like, like also pick the worst supermarket flowers. You know what I mean? Like, well, can I tell you that one time when I was, when I was in my extremely brief and not very pleasant marriage, I was walking, I was, I, I walked past the deli that evening mm -hmm. and I saw a line of men buying like the single roses with a little teddy bear clip to it. No. The baby's breath too? No. And the no. baby's breath. And uh. I was like, and I was like, man, if I was the wife of any of those men, I would have to divorce him if he came home with that. And then my husband came home with it. No. So I had to divorce him. No. <laughs> A hundred percent. He came home with the monkey clipped on the, on no. the rose. Oh my God. I, I mean, look, well, this gets into like, of course it's the thought and everything else. Cause this gets into the thing we were just talking about. And I was like, save it for the podcast, which is when you catch yourself being a bitch. Yes. Because the other thing, like I'm not very loved around this house right now. I've been a legit bitch all week. <laughs> like <laughs> I've been like, because I got dropped out of my book and dropped back into my life. And all I can see is all of the systems that are failing and I'm pointing them out and I'm hated. I'm, I'm like the <laughs> most, <laughs> and like, it's, it's really, it's not okay. Like there's sometimes I catch myself talking to my husband and I'll think, do I still want to be married? Because I'm not speaking in a way a person who wants to be married speaks. This is, this yeah. is, I'm just being an unreasonable bitch. And it's fucked up when you catch yourself in that. You were just saying the same thing. Well, yeah. I mean, and the, I mean, the uncomfortable thing is like, okay, so who are you closer to than your partner? Probably nobody. So you feel a certain kind of ease with them. 
So when you're cranky, you feel like, well, they can take this and I can deliver this to them yeah. and it should be okay. But no, I have that realization over the weekend when I said something really bitchy to Paul and he reacted. And I was like, immediately I was like, oh my God, that was awful. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't that terrible, but it I was know. also, it was not, it was not great. And, 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 and it just came out. It's just like, how much, like, you know, what percentage bitch am I? Yeah, you know, like what percentage is that just part of my fundamental makeup? I know, I know. And then, then I do it. I do it. Oh, I do a thing that's even worse, which is I'll be like, oh, come on. I didn't mean it like that. I'll like then dig in and I'll be then I'll not only be a bitch. I don't do this all the time and I'm trying to do it less. I'm clearly aware of it, but I'll be a bitch. And then I'll get mad that the person's reacted to me being a bitch. Cause then I'm like, Oh great. Now you're hurt. And now we have to, and then I'm like, Oh my God, like, this is not just bitch. Now I'm monster. (laughs) (laughs) It's bad. It's bad. And like, I'm aware of that. Like he's imperfect, but God damn, I'm imperfect too. And that is really everything everywhere all at once really gets into that. And that it just keeps twisting and turning. And I, I think it's worth seeing, but I mean, it's a weird ass movie. It's a very, no, very I, weird movie. I, I sort of liked it. Paul was, we went to the Alamo draft house where I had never been. Yes. You can get, it's a, it's a, it's a movie. It's a movie restaurant. You could just get give... a movie restaurant. And I don't see any reason to ever go to anything other than a movie restaurant for the rest of my life. It's, it's they, they took a great thing going to the movies, a great, but flawed thing. And they got rid of all the flaws. It's incredible. I was just like, oh, yes, I would also, I would like a margarita. And I would like, and some tries, please. Yes, yes. No, we were, it was, we were in the front row. We were, we were kings. It was amazing. Now I'm reading a book that I'm a little obsessed with. um, The Palace Papers by Tina Brown. Oh God, I've been wanting to read that. My friend Glynis has been telling me about that. And also people are like, you should get her on the podcast. You know what? I thought about that, but Tina Brown scares me so much. I don't think I could want oh, her. Oh, I worked for podcast. her. She scares the shit out of me. I can't. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yes. No, I don't think I had any desire to ever like be in the same room as her, but she's written two good books, great books about the royal family. And this one's slightly uneven. Mm-hmm. Like it goes, it goes a lot into like the Murdoch lawsuits, which I couldn't give a shit about. Right, right, right. Um, but there is so much good gossip. There is so much good juice that I just, I was trying, I was having lunch with a British friend the other day mm-hmm. and I was explaining to her my fascination with the royal family and mm-hmm. she just couldn't get it. She was like, do you admire them? And I was like, no, I don't admire them. Like I watch the crowd. I know they're incurious and right. not that well-educated and really everything, you know, everything else they are. Inbred. I just, inbred. <laughs> I just, I, I can't even articulate why I'm fascinated by them. I, I, and like why particularly I have this fascination with Princess Margaret. Well, Princess Margaret is obviously the coolest one. I mean, she's just, she's just, she's cool. But, but, but She was pretty- cool, but also like a, Biatch. Yes, also a bitch. But you know, how could you not be? I mean, imagine the sort of generational trauma of of that of that family. You know, it's like I can't generational trauma, like the one and two punch of generational pr- trauma, which is minimization and denial. And it's like, uh, uh, like nothing can be real. I mean, now you start seeing like Harry being like, you know what? It was pre- it's pretty messed up in there. You know, and that's yeah. just like the tip of the iceberg. No, of yeah. course they're fascinating. We are in 2022 and there are, there's a king and a queen and a prince. <laughs> it's like, it's well, there isn't a king. Just, just, just to set the record straight. Right. There will be. There will be a king and there will be, and it, it's all interesting about like, you know, Charles and Camilla and, oh, it's just really juicy, good fun. I have really nothing this week except that I had to buy a nose hair trimmer. <laughs> yeah yeah you know what it really the indignities just keep on coming oh I, my god i just had kept looking and being like wait is that do i have like serious nose hairs coming out of my nose and like you can't hide that shit unless you trim it i really this is the first time i couldn't believe it i would i felt like an 80 year old man <laughs> that is hysterical uh but it you know it comes in handy they're pretty cheap on amazon and now I don't have nose hair coming out, which is really, (laughs) is really a thing I had never thought about before and extraordinarily unappealing. 
<laughs> yeah, no, nose hair, no fun. I guess I've got that one, you know, in the wig that's waiting for me. I don't know. I think it's the shape of your nostrils, whatever. That and the texture of my eyebrows, I'm obsessed with. It's like a new weird tick of mine that I can't stop touching my eyebrows because they are so, they're not even like unruly right now because I trimmed them, but the texture of them is so coarse. It's mm -hmm. it's unlike anything that used to be on my face before. It's just like these hard... <laughs> Well, like when you see old men, they have like those really yes. coarse, round, yes. you know, curly eyebrows. I That's where this is headed. <laughs> that's where if I don't do something about it, that's where it's headed. So it's just facial hair grooming is going to become such a bigger part of my life than it ever was. And it was as discussed in the past. I'm Italian. It was never not a part of my life, no, 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 no. you know? So that's hilarious. So yeah, that's my, uh, that's my, uh, that's my big, uh, midlife purchase nose hair trimmer. Of the well, week. I haven't had, I haven't had a meaningful age marker this week. Okay. All right. Good, good. But it's, yours, I think yours is good enough for both of us. I, I think really it do. is. Should we get into this this very, very powerful episode? Don't turn it off. It's important. Don't turn it off, guys. And follow the show Ladies, notes. Ladies, people. People, humans, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Folks. Fuck. Our guests today are Jen Bluestein and Rebecca Hart Holder. Rebecca has dedicated her career to ensuring women, pregnant people, and families have access to the full spectrum of reproductive health care. As executive director of Reproductive Equity Now, Rebecca and her team have secured critical legislative victories to safeguard and expand reproductive freedom. Prior to joining Reproductive Equity Now, Rebecca served as associate director of programs for provide and the federal policy director at the national abortion federation she held legal fellowships with the center for reproductive rights and the national congress of american indians jen is senior director of policy and advocacy at the schusterman family philanthropies working on gender and reproductive equity criminal justice reform voting rights educational equity and jewish life Previously, Jen served as manager, managing editor at NARAL. I always pronounce this wrong. It's N-A-R-A-L. Pro-Choice America. Pro-Choice America and vice president. And Jen was also vice president of Emily's List, working to elect pro-choice Democratic women. Jen has also served as a senior advisor to former Congresswoman Gabby Giffords and her husband, Senator Mark Kelly, as communications director for their gun violence prevention organization, as deputy director of U.S. policy and advocacy at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and as communications director for Cory Booker in his first race in Newark, New Jersey. Wow, these are impressive guests. Hello, Jen, and good morning. Hi. And hi, Rebecca. Good morning. Before we before we get started, will both of you just say your names so that our readers, our listeners know who is who? Becca Hartholder. And Jen Bluestein. Okay. All right. And obviously we wanted to have you on today because of all the bullshit that's happening. And we just thought, okay, it's time for an emergency. Um, everything is fine podcast to discuss. Well, the thing that I love is that we've actually been trying to get Bluestein to come on the podcast for a while. And she's been like, and then as soon as this happened, she was like, she emailed us and was like, okay, I'm coming on and I'm bringing a friend. That's right. That's right. Um, so I really, I think we just should start with an explainer. I feel like a lot of people know what's going on. We know there's been a leaked decision, but you know, I mean, we, people might be fuzzy on the details. So can you just give an explainer about what Alito's decision is and what, you know, what it is basically where we're at right now? Yeah, so I'm gonna start with a little bit of background, a step back. So we remember that on September 1st, SB 8 went into effect, which was the law in Texas that said that you can't get abortion care after six weeks. And I think it sounded the alarm for abortion rights advocate because because it, it should have been it should have been unconstitutional on its face under Roe. So we knew bad things were coming. And then in December, the court heard Dobbs versus Mississippi, which is this case where they were again judging the constitutionality of a ban that should have been unconstitutional under Roe on its face, a 15-week ban. And then last Monday night, which feels like 70 years ago at this okay. point, um, Politico leaked this draft opinion in the Mississippi case. Um, and the opinion is a 
death knell for Roe v. Wade. I mean, it is a it is a cataclysmic decision. Now, of course, the opinion can change, and we don't know the final outcome until the court releases it, probably at the end of June, although kind of all bets are off on timing. And it's important to say that in this kind of in-between time, abortion is still legal in all 50 states. But if the decision stands, states can legally ban abortion with criminal penalties for abortion providers and for the people who are seeking abortions. They can ban abortions with no exceptions at all for the health of the pregnant person or for rape or incest. And I want to be really clear. I don't think there's any such thing as a good or bad abortion. There's just the decision to get one. But I think it is particularly vile that they um, are refusing to even recognize any exceptions that could impact people's lives. We know that 13 states have what are called trigger laws. So that means that they will instantly outlaw abortion the moment that the decision comes down. And there are roughly another 13 we think will act right after the decision comes down. How Now, about the trigger laws, how, how, because my sister-in-law who knows about these things was explaining what a trigger law was to me. How can that somehow also affect um, the morning after pills? It shouldn't affect the morning after pill, right? Because that's emergency contraception, which prevents fertilization. Um, Mm -hmm. But if states start passing personhood laws, which is possible, and I think we've seen that in Louisiana already, which says life begins at conception, then you couldn't get, I mean, forget an abortion, you couldn't even get emergency contraception at that point. So most trigger laws won't contemplate emergency contraception. But I want to go back to the Alito decision for one second, because how how can they do this? Like, I, I, I saw like, you know, there's all these ridiculous things built into this. Like I saw like that, you know, we have a there's a dearth of like there's an undersupply of, of infants yeah. or something like what? Like how what how can they make how can he make this judgment? That that's that's what I'm wondering. Like this was because yeah. what is it? The Roe v. Wade is not actually in the Constitution, so they can take it away. Like what what is it? I mean, I'm going to give you the legal opinion, and then I'll just give you my feelings opinion, okay. which are two different things. And my feelings opinion is they can do whatever they want because they're the justices on the Supreme Court, and he can create whatever reasoning he wants to get to the ultimate outcome that he wants, which is outlawing abortion. Okay. He He's trying to distinguish Roe from what's called substantive due process ruling. So that's the principle, uh, you know that basically gives us the right to privacy, gives us Griswold, which says that, um, you know, we have access to birth control, gives us Obergefell, which says that same-sex couples um, can be married. They all rely on the right to pro- right to privacy. And what he's saying is that that abortion is not named in the Constitution and that they can eviscerate the right to privacy because he undermines what's called um, stare decisis, which is the principle that, uh, you know, courts basically have to listen to previous rulings and take them seriously, the principle of precedent, that they don't have to overrule them right away. Um, I just, I think, you know, this is legal jujitsu. You know, this is the first time a court has taken away a right in modern history, right? Courts, mm. courts are known for expanding rights, not contracting rights. And they're taking from us a right that we have enjoyed for, uh, you know, legally have enjoyed for over 50 years. So, you know, it's terrifying. Can we talk about what, you know, I've heard people say things and I've read a little bit about, well, this could really start affecting gay marriage. This could start affecting all sorts of other things. Yeah. So if stare decisis doesn't hold, like the doctrine of precedent, then we can go after all kinds of decisions. We can go after gay marriage. We can go after contraception. Um, And I think eviscerating the right to privacy, eviscerating that substantive due process right, which is what marriage, what birth control, um, what the right to procreate, what the right to raise your children the way you want to is all grounded. If you start chipping away at that, it just logically cannot end at Roe. Alito's saying it's just Roe because abortion isn't mentioned in the Constitution, but that's not true. I mean, all of these other decisions are, are prefaced on this substantive due process right so yeah i it's a i mean uh, you know my wife the night of the decision said to me should i be worried about our marriage and i said our marriage yes it is going to fall like we are going to lose 
the, you know, not in Massachusetts where I live, it will continue to be protected in the state that I live in. But I just, I think this is a bad sign for any other substantive due process, right? Well, I, I think that's interesting that you say that because, I, and I, I think it's important to say that because sometimes when something like this happens, our knee-jerk reaction is to catastrophize, right? And like, oh my God. And I want to always make sure that I'm living in a reality with this stuff because that's the way I think we can get the most action done. So when you say, yes, him, him, this ruling could take away these other rights. I think it's really important for everybody to understand that that's not like a hysterical, like, oh my God, we're just exaggerating, but this is actually real. Well, look, and Jen can jump in on this too. Like the state of Texas outlawed abortion after six weeks, and then they went after trans kids. It's not mm -hmm. a mistake. This, mm -hmm. and then Florida did it. Th this is all part of a larger kind of desire to have one type of person, one type of family, one type of marriage, one type of kid that fits in with one type of principle that they have and just an utter refusal to embrace the totality of who and what we are. So these are these these rights are they are linked and maybe the Supreme Court won't invalidate gay marriage, you know, within a week, but certainly that is what the anti-choice, anti-LGBTQ folks who are the same people are going after. Yeah, we were getting one of our questions was, what is their end game? And that's really their end game. Yeah, I mean, I think that to understand the Republicans' end game here, you actually have to look um, pretty far back, further than even this sort of current extremism of the party that we've seen in the in the Trump era. Um, when Roe was passed in 73, it was not actually particularly controversial. It wasn't particularly partisan. Um, there was a lot going on. Then, you know, the, the end of the Vietnam War, Watergate, the electorate was changing pretty dramatically. The anti-abortion movement started pretty, um, started pretty slowly. And actually, I'd love to just like put a little pin in that to talk later because I think it's really important that we not call them pro-life mm -hmm. and then we think about the language that they're using. Um, but so they started slow. Um, they passed the Hyde Amendment in 1977, which prevented the use of federal funds to pay for abortion, except in certain cases, which disproportionately hurts poor women and women of color. Um, and I think we have to be really honest that it took a long time for the majority of our party to wake up to that injustice. Um, some of you who, some of your listeners may remember that Hyde became an issue during the Obama administration and during the conversations about the passage of what ultimately became uh, the ACA. Um, it was a huge issue as recently as the 2020 presidential election um, when it became an issue for now President Biden. We were, as a party, honestly slow uh, to acknowledge the significance of, of Hyde. Um, the Republican Party began to use anti-abortion positions as a way to appeal to socially conservative Catholic voters, socially conservative evangelical voters, um, all kinds of folks who, as Re Rebecca was describing, sort of uh, valued and judged certain kinds of families um, and found certain kinds of families and certain kinds of people lacking. And remember, again, everything is changing in the electorate, right? You have more voters of color. You have the women's movement happening. Um, it all comes to a head during Ronald Reagan's presidential election. So remember that Reagan was never kind of a movement Republican the way we might think of, of other folks. He wasn't seen as particularly conservative. Um, as governor of California, he had loosened restrictions on abortion. But during his campaign, he needed, he could only win with the support of social conservatives. And so he put together a coalition that included social conservatives, far-right religious conservatives, and began um, actually with his campaign, uh, made a campaign pledge to appoint anti-abortion judges, sort of put us on that path that we're on um, now. So where they, where is the party now? Where are the parties now? Where's the electorate now? Like, not in the same place. Um, more than 80% of, of voters think that women have a right to an abortion. That's not women voters. That's more than 80% of voters overall believe that women have a right to an abortion. Now, they don't all have the same perspective on it, but they do agree to that fundamental belief. Part of the problem then, if you say, well, how can this all be happening? The things I see at the state level, the things I see at the federal level, if that's true, part of it is, as Rebecca is, is really wise about, um, 
we have a really broken democracy, right? Um, we have gerrymandering, we have a desperate need for filibuster reform, and all of those prevent things that are wildly popular from passing. Um, some of it is disinformation. Um, if you think, you know, I think we're all pretty familiar with the uh, concept of disinformation now. If you think back to like what happened in Virginia uh, in, was Kathy Tran's bill in 2019? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah. Kat, there was an effort state by state to kind of replace these outdated laws that were on the books in anticipation of Roe eventually falling. Um, Kathy Tran, who's a wonderful state legislator in uh, Virginia, was the sponsor of a bill that um, rolled back a lot of restrictions, including making it very, very, very difficult, really making it absurdly difficult to get a, a, an abortion later in pregnancy. And as you guys may remember, there were some remarks by the governor, who is in fact a doctor, who has um, comforted people who has, have needed abortions later in their pregnancy. And, and his remarks, Kathy Tran's bill, were just taken out of, of, uh, out of context viciously, um, used in disinformation campaigns to suggest that you know, people were having uh, abortions at the time of pregnancy, which is not a thing, right? Um, so I think that it is important to see this issue also in this political challenge we have in front of us about disinformation and how, um, how information gets spread. And meanwhile, you know, as, as Rebecca, the Republican Party, as Rebecca has noted, is, is pursuing, using their time to pursue things at the state level that are, are just truly violent and vicious. And then, you know, they kind of, every once in a while, they say the quiet part out loud, right? So if you look at a lot of the Republicans running for, for instance, for Senate or for House right now, they don't really want to talk about this. They don't want to talk about abortion, really. They don't want to talk about the, the SCOTUS decision because it's wildly unpopular if you are in a district where you might need some non-truly right-wing people to vote for you. But this weekend, Mitch McConnell said that it was, quote, no secret that their goal is a national ban. So that's what they're they're going for. They're going for a national ban in addition to all of this um, these these laws at the state level. And the reason that they're doing that is um, they are reliant on far, far right activists who control their primaries, right? So in this case, just to go back again to what Rebecca was talking about um, with the actual uh, language of the law and the implications of it, you know, the attacks on trans people, the attacks on teachers and the book bans and the attempts to legislate against teaching history, honestly, these are all of a piece with this effort to take away the protections of Roe. They do two things for the Republican Party. One, they motivate a critical base without which the Republicans cannot win. And two, they deliver to that base what they dream of, which is a return to an old way of living when women and people of color and gay and lesbian people um, had a few rights and power and money were controlled by a smaller group of white men. So when you think about people like the Koch brothers, Rebecca Mercer, any of these big uh, right-wing donors, and you think, I don't, that's so weird. I don't know, you know, do they want to live like that? And the answer is probably not, but they're investing in a political movement that that is making them money. And they probably don't live like that. Like, I mean, I, I'm looking at all of these Republican people, lawmakers, and thinking like, how many of you dudes have sent someone for an abortion? It's just, it, they're, they're, they're mostly dicks and dicks do things like that. I just, I, it, 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 it makes how how what are the odds Brett Kavanaugh did not impregnate? I mean, I shouldn't say that. Right. I I'm mean, legally, legally, you shouldn't say that. But I, I, <laughs> but I, yeah, no. Your point, point taken. Point taken. Rich people can get anything they want, and like will rich, be powerful people, and always will be. And and one of the things that like I've been thinking about, we keep talking about Handmaid's Tale, Handmaid's Tale. In a way, that's problematic because Handmaid's Tale largely shows sort of white women of some privilege and their rights being taken away. And it's like this very like filtered way of looking at a dystopia, right? When many of us of any kind of means, particularly white women, are probably going to have some access to abortion, even if this all gets rolled back. So that's I want to talk about that. Where will it be most likely abortion access be most likely to change? Who does this kind of legislation affect the most? Like, let's just lay it out there. 
Well, let, let's start with, it's such a good point, and I really appreciate that you raised it. Like, Roe was always the floor. It was never the ceiling. It was always just the very basic minimum that we needed to meet. And it has always been the case that that the laws passed to make abortion access more difficult have disproportionately impacted low-income people, queer people, brown and black people. And those are the same people who are going to be disproportionately impacted by this decision, by the Dobbs decision. So, um, so you know, I just think of kind of the whole middle and south swath of the country, and that is where you're going to see that just you know, the trigger bans go into effect, personhood laws, like instantaneous abortion no longer exists in 26 states um, after the Dobbs decision. One place for people to think about, just to think about kind of how this happens in the world is in Kansas. Um, in Kansas, and, and I love talking about Kansas because I think it kind of, particularly with regards to abortion and to repro equity, it kind of... Um, flips the script a little bit and challenges our conventional wisdom about this. So some folks may not know this or may not expect this, but first of all, Kansas has a pro-choice Democratic governor. Um, so put everything out of your mind about where women who are are uh, pro-repro uh, equity can win. They can win in places like Kansas. And um, uh, was it last year or two years ago? Time is a flat circle or during the pandemic. Legislature in Kansas attempted to pass a very, very, very restrictive bill, um, and the Kansas State Supreme Court uh, uh, responded and found that there was a constitutional right to abortion in the Kansas um, state constitution. Becca, did I get that right? Did I say that right? You did. Yeah, right. you did. And now anti-choice forces have put um, a ballot uh, initiative, a referendum on the ballot uh, this year that would say the exact opposite. It would say that there, the Kansas state constitution does not guarantee a right to abortion. And so therefore, um, the, the court's decision would be thrown out and the legislation could and other legislation could could be passed. So this is a place these are like these women and it is almost all women who are running this campaign, um, who are fundraising for this campaign, who are doing the messaging, who are doing the targeting, who are doing the field operations, who are out there knocking on doors, right, talking to people. They are doing it now. And theirs will be the first election, really, the first major election post this decision, assuming that it does not change since the leak. And I think that it is, um, it's important to look at that and think this is where it will happen soon. It will either go one way or the other. And there is, in fact, a path for it to go away that I think all of us could be really proud of, which is for people to have the support they need to go cast votes. Um, that would, in fact, say that forever there is a right to an abortion in the Kansas state constitution. Take a quick break for some ads. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. 
You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks more juicy, I guess, is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Ah. Okay, so you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25 percent off and we're back understanding that when we have a ban on abortion i've seen some things on instagram and i think it's important to talk about this stuff too like i had a late miscarriage i had a miscarriage at four and a half months pregnant and i the my body did not expel that that pregnancy and I had to go in and get an abortion. And I, you know, this was a, a very desired pregnancy. And would that, would I not be able to get under this kind of law and legislation, would I not be able to have a miscarriage that had not naturally expelled taken out of my body? I mean, I've, I've seen that on Instagram and I just want to, you know, I'm just curious about that. I don't know that it's important to this conversation, but I think it's all important. I think it depends on how they define abortion. So if they include miscarriage management in abortion, if they are if they are quite broad in how they define abortion, then the answer is yes. They could exclude miscarriage management when they're writing a ban. The question is, do they? Right. right? And 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 one thing that I think is really important to think about with a federal ban is that that's the end game, right? Like that's where they're going because in my state, our wonderful attorney general, Maura Healy, will not enforce a federal um, abortion ban. However, it doesn't matter if there's an anti-choice DOJ in a future administration who sends the FBI in to investigate whether or not providers are providing abortion care and patients are getting it. So I think it's just, it's so scary to think about the ramifications of what they could do to our bodies. Right. You could at least be investigated for something like that after going through what is the, one of the hardest things you go through emotionally, right? It's like you could be investigated Absolutely. and you could, and you could potentially go to jail, right? I mean, we're, we're, that's what we're talking mm -hmm. about here, right? Yes. Yes. You and your doctor could go to jail. What are the worst and best case scenarios for the midterms? Well, I'm like a very grumpy perpetual optimist. So here's basically what I think. Like this is a winning issue, right? 80% of Americans um, favor protecting the right to access an abortion. What we see in the research right now is that we had a, a couple of things. We had a big believability gap, right? Women literally did, especially women voters, likely women voters just didn't believe that it was probably gonna happen that Roe would be thrown out. And that, by the way, I think is testament to two things. One, it's testament to the fact that Roe versus Wade is wildly popular, right? They're like, what do you, what? no, they yeah. wouldn't, right? Everybody likes that. Um, second, it's testament to the fact that uh, we've just come through two years of a pandemic on top of four years of the Trump administration. And most women have been either like working from their closet while trying to teach their kid fourth grade math online in the living room or risking their lives going to work during COVID, right? They are tired. They have lived through um, a, a year of, of knowing maybe in some small way that people worked fighting to get things like better access to quality childcare and universal paid leave and seeing that fail, right? They are tired. They are frustrated. They are not paying attention with every moment of whatever passes for spare time, right? And related to that, the other problem we have is that they, partly because of that exhaustion, that extensiveness of what they've lived through, what women have lived through, um, they're not super clear on who is doing this. They tend to blame politicians instead of blaming Republicans. And I think that's really important. There is some minor um, 
there's maybe a minor, uh, there is a, there are a few politicians in the Democratic Party, fewer and fewer as time goes on, and we can talk about that, who, um, who are not supportive of this right now, right? We need to hold our Democratic leaders to account, but they are largely supportive of, of, uh, of protecting our right to access abortion. And we need to absolutely hang this around the necks of Republicans so that every single woman voter and every single male voter in America knows exactly who did this. Because if we do that, we will win. And we have actually a pretty great map to play on to expand our federal uh, majorities, right? We have amazing pro-choice women, um, Black women like Val Demings in Florida, Sherry Beasley in North Carolina, who we can support. We have people like Mark Kelly, extraordinary public servant who was first elected in a special election in Arizona. And and we can ensure that we reelect these Democratic leaders who are who are working to expand our access to abortion and that we add to their to their list. Now, is it hard? It will be hard. I think that sort of buying into the conventional wisdom um, that either this isn't a winning issue or that we can't uh, talk about this as much because we have to talk about the economy is bullshit. Right. Um, First of all, women can multitask. You can talk to them about more than two things at once, right? The second is that <laughs> this is an economic issue, right? Stacey Abrams, one of the greatest politicians in our party, always says abortion is an economic issue because it's about how many people you can afford to feed around your kitchen table, right? And so I think that it is really important to like follow our convictions on this and not be swayed by sort of conventional wisdom, which is not get in trouble, but like the largely sort of male consultant driven culture of Washington, which either sees a big difference between talking about abortion and talking about economics and what your life is like, or is is misreading polls, is misreading data, and is thinking that this isn't a winning issue. This is a winning issue, right? Women do not want their autonomy to be taken away. They do not want government to be in, in the business of making their personal decisions for them. And they know the pressures that are on them. Right. They know that that has everything to do with child care and how much you make or how much your gas costs. Right. I want to I want to add one layer onto what Jen just said, because it's so spot on. And we if we're not talking about voting rights, when we're talking about abortion rights, we are missing the bigger picture. So the same people that are preventing black, brown, low income, young people from accessing abortion care are also preventing them from voting, are also preventing them from electing politicians that represent their values. We've got gerrymandered districts, people can't vote. I mean, they're they're just open about their desire to suppress the vote. You suppress the vote and you win. Um, So we just, we have to look at these two issues together because I just think they are intertwined. So besides voting, I think this is a good time to talk about action, right? I mean, there's other, there's other issues and we can go back to those, but I'm just a normal person. I vote in all my elections and I, I vote for my own best interests. You know, I don't vote against them. What else can we be doing right now? Cause sometimes it's just like the noise out there. Like, should I give to Planned Parenthood? Yeah. Should I, what should I actually do to, what can I do? Yeah, like I've been hearing a lot lately, like you must give locally. And I'm curious about that. Yeah, I'm gonna make I'm gonna make the state and local pitch for you. So first of all, you should be giving to abortion funds, right? Like you should be definitely dedicating a portion of your money to the people who are helping pregnant people make decisions about their body by paying for abortion care. Abortion funds are critically important. You can find them at the National Network of Abortion Funds. Just search by your state and you'll find the funds in your state. Um, we have for decades invested our resources in a federal plan to save abortion rights. And the federal government is not going to save us. The the United States Supreme Court is failing us. And the Senate, like Jen said, they cannot even pass basic universal paid family leave or access to universal pre-K. They are not going to vindicate the right to abortion. The work is in the states. The work is with people who, whether they're in red, blue, or purple states, know their politicians, have been doing this work for years, know how to talk about it, know how to make people comfortable, and can help pass laws or stop laws um, from being passed that are are going to impact the right to abortion. So, you know, I used to do work in D.C. I loved being in D.C. I love I love the big, massive change that you can make in D.C., and you just simply cannot make it 
on abortion rights. It is a it is a state and local issue. So I, you know, I really strongly suggest devoting your dollars to whoever is in your state leading this fight. Yeah, and I would just um I mean, look, I work at the state and local level and at the federal level. I just want to like I um I recently moved back to Massachusetts where Rebecca works. Um I used to live in Virginia. I have a recurring donation to um, a state-based abortion advocacy organization in Virginia, a recurring donation to um, Rebecca's organization, um, Reproductive Equity Now. And I think it's just, I know this, you know, maybe people feel like this is canned and, and there's a sense that like big donors and, you know, secretive money are everywhere. Like your dollars matter. Small dollars matter. Recurring donations are awesome because it allows people in these places, again, like just people, they're just people like us doing this work to know how much they're going to have baseline in any given month, right? And that that means they know how much they can spend that month. How about hitting the streets? Like that, yeah. made, that made a big difference during George Floyd. Yeah. So look, I mean, also... And I'm going to answer this question about hitting the streets, Kim, thinking about both Rebecca's call to be active in our local and federal elections and legislative work, but uh, sorry, our state and local federal state and local electoral and legislative work, but Nicely also done. our federal work. <laughs> yeah, I got it out there. Um, you, ha you have to do both, right? You actually have to do both. And, you know, I think there was a period of time post Trump election where in a lot of pain, um, and with the kind of, um, you know, we had a lot of solidarity with one another because of that pain, because of the shock of it. I think the same thing happened actually after the murder of George Floyd, where the pain and the kind of shock of recognition, the sense that we were all in it together was really galvanizing, really energizing. And we have to do that now. It, it is tiring, right? Like you have to stand around. You have to show up at, um, you have to go to hearings. You have to sign up for updates and go to hearings, you know, because so much of this, and I think we, we do have to talk about white women here a little bit and our particular roles as white women, you know, white women delivered us Trump, right? White women, um, only I think about 30% of white women who voted, voted for, for Joe Biden, wow. white women, um, have a powerful and, and white women have, and you guys have talked about this before on the podcast, white women have a lot of proximate power, right? And they can either, we can either be kind of hold on to our proximate power and be a part of that sort of politics of going backwards, politics of grievance, right? Or we can kind of lean in together. And um, I hate, I think I just used the word phrase, the phrase lean in, which is really bad. So okay. I sort of throw okay. in together. Um, I know you didn't mean it in a girl bossy way. I know what you I, meant. I, <laughs> uh, thank you. And I, um, I think that that's really something to think about. So a couple of things, and these do not replace giving. They do not replace showing up at legislative hearings, right? Or, or um, going to, you know, whether you do a predictive auto dialer from your couch at home or you go to Becca's office and you make calls to voters to make sure they understand what's happening and that they're turning out in their next election. But, you know, if, if you have people in your circle who are either not focused on this or maybe wavering or don't vote regularly, because Jen, you said you're a regular person, you, you, you're a regular person and you vote in all elections. Regular people don't vote in all unfortunately right now right so there is this sense in which we all have to like take a deep breath and we have to tell our stories and we have to share our values because we don't actually have to make this partisan right we can talk about this from our values we can talk about it to the women in our lives we can talk about it with the men in our lives but particularly the women and I think that there is this sense of like resignation or of of just it's, it's so unpleasant to think about the political forces that want to take this right to make our own personal and healthcare decisions away from us that we kind of shy away from it. Um, look, storytelling is very powerful. If the far right is going to use disinformation to say that we need this law because otherwise, you know, loose women are going to get abortions at the time of pregnancy, then we need Jen to talk about what it was like to miscarry a wanted pregnancy. Um, we need people to talk about just not being ready to have, I had an abortion and I'm really glad I don't have a child with the person who, who I got pregnant with. 
I would have had a vastly different and and I think for me like not great life, right? So I think part of this is is really showing up. It's joining our local advocacy organizations like Repro Equity Now. You know, join if you need the structure of it. Join Indivisible. Join lots of other groups. Bring your friends with you. Knocking on doors is uncomfortable, but it is fun if you do it with your friends. Showing up at hearings is boring and weird and you want to like stand up and scream, what are you talking about? But at least if you go with your friends, you like go have coffee or a glass of wine afterwards and debrief the horror of it, right? Well, the Republicans are so good at being relentless and it feels like that's a little cue we could take from just like being like a dog with a fucking bone on this. Just a dog with a bone. Absolutely. I mean, I think that's what the Massachusetts legislature would say about me. Like, we just haven't <laughs> stopped, right? And and we're not going to stop because we saw this coming. And, you know, we repealed anti-choice laws. We codified the right to privacy. And now we're working on access. You know, now we're working on putting um, dollars into infrastructure so that people can get care. But it is relentless. It is exhausting. They are trying to exhaust us. And I think we need, we, we have to keep showing up. We, we just have to because lives are on the line here. Gloria Steinem always says um, movements are just people moving. And I always think about that when you're like exhausted or you're like, I'm not sure exactly, like I'm showing up to this hearing, but maybe I only understand what they're talking about 90% of it, or I'm going to door knock in this part of town that I haven't been before and I don't feel comfortable about it or whatever. And you just have to be like, okay, I'm just moving. We are just moving. So okay, so say I'm I'm just a I'm just a, a, a just a dummy, right? I don't know anything, and I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I'm on Instagram. I'm getting a lot of information, or wherever I'm getting it from. Where should I actually be going to sort out where I can help? You've mentioned it a little bit, but I want to I really want to drill this down because I think that the information is so overwhelming, and it sounds nice what you're saying, but nobody's going to do it if it feels hard. So like, what's the easiest? What's my most direct path to? I'm a dummy, but I'm concerned about abortion too. I'm helping actively. Yeah, that's such a good question. Um, and I and I don't have an easy answer. It's not like there's one website I can direct you okay. to and say, like, go here and all the state orgs will pop up. I think, like, start reading the newspaper and see whose name keeps popping up. What organization keeps, yeah. you keep hearing them over and over and over again. You Google reproductive freedom and pro-choice and your state name, who keeps coming up? The other thing, and this actually is a really easy thing to do, is to figure out who your state rep and your state senator are, right? It is not easy to get to know your senator, right, mm-hmm. or your congressperson. Mm-hmm. It's super easy to get to know your state rep and your state senator and to be able to talk to them, to get their cell phone, to influence them. Like, you can make a difference, a tangible difference on the state level. Yeah. And you talked about this, Jen, like, look. Uh, Instagram is really important. Facebook is hugely important in political organizing. Twitter, not so important, mm-hmm. right. right? People might feel like, that. well, I'm not on Twitter or whatever, and Twitter's where the action is. No, Twitter is where like a small group of people get, to, get together and yell. And yell at right? each other, right, yes. And Facebook is where people, number one, they share about their values, okay? So they share that they've had a new baby or they're getting married or whatever this thing is. They are sharing about the things that we are fighting about, right? And your state rep, your state legislator will have a presence on Facebook, more often than not, you can tag them in your post, right? So if you wake up and you feel terrible about this and you want to say, I am just so confident that that my state rep, Jennifer Romolini, will never do such a horrible thing, you can tag her, right? Or <laughs> when you are, are going down to stand in front of the state house or to listen to a hearing, you can tag them. You can make them feel your presence mm-hmm. so significantly. Mm, that's good advice. You, you like to imagine, I like to imagine state <laughs> Senator Jennifer. Romney. I want to live in that world. I don't know. So much weed. I don't think that they'd let me. I'll run your campaign. Have a better, <laughs> run your campaign. It's just like pro-cannabis and abortion. That's it. <laughs> I mean, we could go far with that platform. I, I, I probably could. That and some parking issues. I could probably go. <laughs> you, you throw, yeah, you throw a little child care and paid leave. Exactly. You'd have the highest voter turnout in American history. <laughs> Well, let's talk about just we make sure before we go. I just want to because there is like a little bit of a light with the abortion pill, isn't it? I mean, that's a helpful, hopeful. I've talked to some feminist activists, no, some abortion activists who have said, "Well, we're not 
exactly where we were in 1973 because there is the abortion pill. And even in Texas, right, like a lot of people are accessing that. And I know that's problematic, but let's talk about that just for a second, because I think it's important to understand the abortion pill and what that could mean in changing this landscape a little bit, at least temporarily. Yeah. So medication abortion is a great option for, for a lot of people. So over half, I think it's 54, 55% of all abortion care is medication abortion care. You can do it up to 10 weeks of pregnancy. Um, it's two pills. Um, it's prescribed by your clinician. So depending on your state, that's either a physician or a nurse midwife. Um, and um, the FDA recently made a change so that you can get medication abortion mailed to you. Um, there are a couple of really interesting groups um, called there's Hey Jane, there's Plan C, and there's Just a Pill. I think I'm, I think those are the three big ones that are nationwide that offer telehealth appointments so that you can get medication abortion. Um, the wrinkle is that there are 19 states that ban telehealth and and mailing medication mm. abortion. So it's it, it is a game changer in you know, the rest of the states, the other, what, 31 states, but in those 19 states, it, it's, it is illegal. However, there's an international group called Aid Access, um, and I can't, they're Dutch, I think, but they mail the pills from overseas. Um, and there was a study basically that found that, you know, you're actually getting mifepristone and misoprostol when you're getting those packages from Aid Access. And I think if I'm not mistaken, when the Texas law went into effect, Aid Access saw their request for pills like triple overnight because people knew that that was a, a, a way to get abortion care. This has been really, um, I wouldn't say encouraging because it's also depressing, <laughs> but I feel like I, I feel a lot more empowered to go do whatever it is we're all going to go do to make this yeah, I'm fired up. I'm fired up. So, yeah. join, join your um, I would, join your local organization like Repro Equity now. Um, make a recurring donation. Yeah, get in the fight. Like, am I am I wasting my time giving my money to Planned Parenthood because everybody gives their money to Planned Parenthood? Should I be or should I be doing that? And in addition to that, I think that you should do both. So big national places also have value. I mean, I used to work at NARAL at Emily's List. Um, those places have value when they have members. They have they need their recurring donations as well. Give them a little for sure. Be a member. Read the emails. Like state, they can give you a good sense of what's happening nationally. And then you must, must, must go find the Becca in your state. Um, and you must support them. Right. Let me make a plug also for independent clinics. So there's there's Planned Parenthoods, which is, you know, we all know the Planned Parenthood brand and support the Planned Parenthood brand. But there's also small independent clinics. You know, it's like a shingle hung up by a provider in states that are doing amazing work. You can find them through the Abortion Care Network. Um, and those are places that can use your your volunteer time. They could really use lunch, send the, send the staff lunch. Right. And um, consider donations um, to them as well. Amazing. Thank you. Thank thank you guys so much for thank this. You. This has been incredibly um, educational and edifying and, infuri and infuriating and so many but things. Just like what it We're is to be a woman. The hour. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> just like what it is to be a, a, a person with female parts working on the walking around this planet. That's just <laughs> filled with the dream. Yeah, exactly. Filled with rage, but refusing to give up exactly rage yes. and hope i think that's the balance you're you're kind of looking for um thanks a lot for coming on in such short notice too we really appreciate it and i'm sure our listeners will too thanks for having us thanks for listening to everything is fine we're your hosts i'm jen romolini and i'm kim france if you like the show please rate and review it on all the platforms particularly apple podcasts if you leave us a five-star review we read them every couple of weeks on the show if you want to support the production of the show we have a patreon it's patreon.com backslash everything is fine we hold live events there once a month we also do some additional content exclusive content there like blogs and sometimes an occasional special episode if you want to follow us on social media. We're on Instagram at EIF Podcast. We have a private Facebook group 
Everything is fine, the podcast. You can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com, and you can find me at tinyletter.com backslash Jennifer Romolini. I do a newsletter there every once in a while. And just so you know, the show is edited and mixed by the wonderful Natalie Rivera, who we could not do the show without. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.